So you decided you want to buy a gun, but how do you choose which one? You don't have time to test every handgun, rifle, and shotgun out there. NorCal Gun Vault can help you out. Yeah, the folks that work there are passionate about firearms. They hunt, they shoot. You can tell it's not just a job for them, and it shows in their ability to find the perfect firearm for you. NorCal Gun Vault is fully stocked with hundreds of handguns, rifles, shotguns, not to mention tons of ammo, dozens of accessories. Yeah, whether shooting is just a hobby, you're a hunter, or you're thinking about owning your first gun, NorCal Gun Vault has exactly what you're looking for. By the way, if cash is tight right now, but you really want to get a gun, NorCal Gun Vault will work with you to create a layaway program individually tailored to what makes sense for your budget. NorCal Gun Vault opens seven days a week, locally owned and operated. Check them out at NorCalGunVault.com. NorCalGunVault.com. It really matters when you're dealing with experts. Go to NorCalGunVault.com, NorCalGunVault.com. an angle to this big story this week that I wasn't aware of, but this ACLU angle is an angle I wasn't aware of, and I think it's because it doesn't fit in with the mainstream media's uh, angle on this whole thing, so we'll talk about that coming up. It's pretty damned interesting, and uh, and an opinion piece in the New York Times saying, we need to narrow the definition of free speech. Unbelievable. And, they're, and they're arguing, their argument for it is really interesting. Plus, um, we'll get to that Noam Chomsky stuff as well a quarter after. But you bunch of MFers. Well, that's nice. Whether you're swinging D's or C-bombs. What? There's too much. There's way more cussing in America than there used to oh. be, according to a new study. <laughs> specifically I'll in be books. darned. Specifically in books. And this is kind of interesting. Mark Twain once wrote, and I think they actually verified this. This isn't an internet Mark Twain quote. Mark Twain once said, flying leaves me hungry and thirsty. I hate the airlines. Mark Twain quoted as saying, the Internet is to children what blah, blah, blah. Uh, Mark Twain actually probably did say this. There ought to be a room in every house to swear in because it's dangerous to have to repress an emotion like that. Mm. Um, the swearing room. Yeah, I like the idea. <laughs> Certain young people in my family would be there a lot. Hmm? Hmm? Uh, but the, no, I'll find out if she's listening. I'll keep an eye on my texts. New study shows that uh, there's been a dramatic increase in swear words in American literature over the last 60 years. This, I'm, I'm sure this is not a surprise to anybody. But Sifting through the text of one million books, a million books, the study found that MFR <clears throat> was used 678 <clears throat> times more often in the mid-2000s than in the early 50s. <laughs> well, that's quite an increase. <laughs> I'd say. Does that mean anything for society? Is that a good thing, bad thing, nothing? Is it a nothing? I, um, I think the names just change. Uh, the The insults just change. The quote-unquote obscenities change, I think, mostly. Although that's a, that's a big one. MFR was used, obviously, the full word. I can't say the full word, although soon I will be able to. Great. <laughs> what, you've been practicing? Is that what you mean or what? And you can tell them to go themselves. Oh, my, except he didn't actually say it. 
MFR was used 678 times more often in literature than in the mid-2000s and in the early 50s. Occurrences of uh, S-bombs multiplied 69 times, and F was 168 times more frequent. I say No, Arnold. Wow. Big banks and Wall Street. <laughs> That's Kimmel's unnecessary censorship, isn't it? You people, you're, you, this is misleading. I won't be party to this. They looked at a million books between 1950 and the year 2008. This is all, uh, you know, novels and whatnot, literature. Looking for uses of the words S, P, F, C, C, S, M, F, and T. I'm sorry, P? Uh, they picked these words because they were described as the seven words you can never say on television by comedian George Carlin in 1972. Oh, P is in cat? No, as in urination. Seriously? Yeah. Huh. Overall, they found that writers were significantly more likely to use each of the seven swear words since the year, were, year 1950. Well, the uh, incredible increase in the use of MF. There's not like some rise in... Uh, Matrophilia, is there? Does this match the? <laughs> Nobody's doing that more often. Does this match the uh, the decline of phrases like jack wagon and uh, you know whatever the substitutes for these words would have been in the, in past eras? I, 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 yeah, I, what Joe was saying. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Like in 1950, could you have said there has been a study of a million books since the year 1900, and jack wagon has increased, you know, 8,000 times. It used to be no decent person would say jack wagon, but is now... A, is this a coarsening of our times? Exactly. <laughs> I, I, by the way, my <laughs> is the biggest since Ronald Reagan. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I have long thought that the art of the insult has declined horribly from, he, you know, he is a poltroon... And the coward, you know, may the sun never set on his grid. I mean, people used to be so much more creative. Now, F-E-M-F-er, it's all you hear. It's terrible. You, you got, like, your insults of the 30s. Man, they were good. That was the heyday of intelligent insults. The guy who did this study said, I expected that swear words were on the increase. I mean, that's obvious to everyone. I didn't realize it would be 28 times more. Um... This increase happened at the same time that the culture increasingly promoted self-expression and individualism. Individualism is a cultural system that emphasizes the self more and social rules less, which is interesting. So as social rules fell by the wayside, the people were told to express themselves. Swearing became more common. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes on with that whole individualism being more concerned about yourself and whether or not you're happy than whether or not society's happy. There's a lot that goes hand in hand with that, and it ain't good. Right. Right. Some of my favorite H.L. Mencken insults, uh, insults rather, a tin-horn politician with the manner of a rural corn doctor and the mean of a ham actor. God bless you, everybody. We'll be back soon. F*** you, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so much faster to just say he's an MFer, isn't it? Yeah. Instead of having all those words? Um, yeah. Let's see. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty good counter there. Eh, these are so the question with all this sort of stuff is obviously were we, uh, were we uh, overly um, uh, tight-wadded back then, had our panties in a bundle, uh, repressed, whatever, o- repressed, oppressed, um, and, and now we got it right, or, or was that uh, playing by some sort of societal rules that helped keep us together and... 
etc. Well, my point of view on this and a lot of things that we've talked about in the past is that society veers from one extreme to another. And there's probably a brief, oh, it's gone, where we got it right. But then we keep moving in one direction or another. And and now I think we're moving toward a complete lack of regard for our neighbors and the rest of society. Um, away from, you know, there are times in the 20th century where he dared not be any sort of nonconformist in any way to the point that it was oppressive and rigid and bad. But, you know, we'll veer back again someday, probably. I have a bigger than you do, okay? Believe me, I have a very big Well, there's only one way to settle that. Well, I grew up in the rural Midwest. I don't know how it was the rest of the country, but I know the idea of a, a female dropping F-bombs was pretty unique. Yeah. Even even like when I was in college, it wasn't just any girl that would that would drop an F-bomb. No. And now it's, you know, anybody, anybody will. Your boss will. A woman who would drop an F-bomb was surely a trollop and a harlot. <laughs> it, it, my, my, my new belle, she's not a longshoreman, longshore woman, <laughs> but she does drop the F-bomb more than I do. And, and I've tried to curb it, and every time she says the F-word, I'm like, are you going to say that in front of my mom at dinner? But... <laughs> But she says this is it's awesome. It's keep, off to a good start. Keep going. <laughs> but she says the f word more often than I would like. Yeah. I, I well, you see, I have a, I have a, a a meter for that too, or a threshold where I think it's too much. But but Sean was behind you shaking his head, so I want Sean to get in on this. Yeah, it's the it's the greatest word. It's the most versatile. It fits. It's a noun. It's a verb. It, it it's can be a country. Speech, it's, yeah. it's everything. It's, right. it's the best. But so you have well that that's I, all true. But you have no limits for uh, you meet a girl. How often she drops the f bomb? It makes no impression on you. Uh, the more of... she says it, the more likely there's going to be a second date. Uh, <laughs> that's that's somebody who knows how to express uh, themselves clearly like an adult. Are, are you going to bring her in front of positive mom and she's going to talk? like that? <laughs> they'll that they'll throw them back and forth. My mom's an adult. She can handle it. Wow. Wow. This is great. Now, uh, although my only problem, I can't I can't picture, how does a longshoreman talk? Did we get your name, sir? F*** you, you sucker. That's my name. F*** you, sucker. Wow. That's, that's an, aggressive. Wow. That's an actual longshoreman talking yeah, to the well, press. I'm sorry, is you your middle name? <laughs> or is that one, one word, Isaac? Wow. Yeah. Well, I no longer feel that way, I, I guess, in general, about women dropping F-bombs, but, uh, you know. But there's a time and a place. Well, it's of frequency. course there is. Yeah. Every time when I'm around. <laughs> a time and a place and a frequency. See, there, that's where it gets a little more controversial. How much is too much? Is, is she, you know, I have a, a golf buddy, absolutely terrific guy, but he cannot describe, like, what time it is. Without an F bomb, three you know and o'clock. I'm, I'm reevaluating <laughs> my three stance. Three o'clock already. <laughs> if if you're using it as your verbal crutch, like a pause, like an um, like well, we went over to this effing thing, and there was this uh, this effing guy. Right. Like if you're just using it like that, right. that yeah. probably that's probably where I draw the line. But it's if you're the, creative and forceful and and use it in unique and powerful ways, I'm all for it. It's the new yeah no. <laughs> John's right. It's not a verb. One thing to we have to straighten out before we move on is. How have you attempted to curb her use of the F word? <laughs> I, I just tell her, I'm like, babe, stop it. <laughs> babe, stop it. Okay. 
Stop it, it now. I don't, I don't. I'm not your effing babe. <laughs> if you anyway. Well, much like the, the rapper Ludacris. baby. Much like the rapper Ludacris says, I want a lady in the streets, but a freak in the bed. And it's okay to say, but when we're out and about and just chatting, I don't need to hear the F word all the time. You use it once in a while. It it, it, it remains powerful. There, You know what? Well said, Vincent. Well said. How casually does she use it? Like, this effing pasta is effing good. Like that, or God, yeah. you think I could get another glass of effing water here? <laughs> describing nice effing people. day, isn't it? The effing sun's shining. <laughs> what, what, the effing birds are tweeting. Some some those little effers. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get some effing gas for my effing car. Like that? Yeah. Instead of very <laughs> or hella or really, f effing. Coming up, you'll find this effing interesting. The ACLU fought for the right of the Nazis to, to march. I Nobody's reporting that, no. even though it's amazing. Plus, no, the, nobody is reporting that. That is interesting. What Noam Chomsky, hero of the far left, says about Antifa. That, too, may shock you. Yeah, stay tuned. And, and, and my bell just texted me, F you, Vincent. See what I'm saying? Nice. I'm looking at it right now. I, I like stand that, up girl. for your right to, to party or something. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So it turns out there is some nuance to this whole story. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Too much salty language. I disagree, you fop doodle. <laughs> you what now? Thank you for the list of uh, old-timey insults we should bring back, Sean, including one I often use, chucklehead. Much the same as bufflehead, cabbagehead, chowderhead, or cod's head. All signifying stupidity and weakness of intellect, a fool. The list goes on, and it is quite entertaining. And then I must share this with you. I can't believe I forgot it. Tim, uh, the lawyer, Tim Sandifer, the Goldwater Institute, and I share our favorite insult ever. Congressman John Randolph said of an opponent, quote, he is a man of splendid abilities, but utterly corrupt. Like rotten mackerel, by moonlight he shines and stinks. I'm sorry, I phrased that poorly. Um, like rotten mackerel by moonlight, he shines and stinks. Yeah, very good. Thank you, Tim Lawyer, for that beautiful reminder. Now that's an insult. And you think that's better than calling him an MFCSer? an MFer. If ye effort, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only a cod's head would resort to that sort of insult. I've used chucklehead, but maybe I heard it from you. I don't know. Could be. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. You cad. What's the dunder pate? <laughs> I like that one. It's a dunderhead, blockhead, same thing. Of course, you're a bit of an afternoon farmer, if you ask me. <laughs> I don't quite understand that insult. It's a lazy guy, a laggard, a farmer who rises late and is behind in his chores. He's an afternoon farmer. Hence, anyone who loses his opportunities. Mm. I like that. It's clever. Yeah, I'm a furth. Why, I never. <laughs> so, uh, so, so part of what Trump's getting beaten up for is... Um, Introducing uh, some nuance. People are talking about moral relativism, and this is a clear-cut case. Nazis are bad, and that's all you need to say. Well, it turns out it is a little more complicated, and the media is leaving out an interesting part of the story. So our own Marshall Phillips had the story about Terry McAuliffe and a quote from Terry McAuliffe, the governor of Virginia, saying Trump's not welcome there. 
Uh, we haven't touched on the battle between Terry McAuliffe, Democrat, and the ACLU, usually on the side of Democrats. Mm-hmm. Terry McAuliffe blamed the ACLU. Do you know what the ACLU is? The American Civil Liberties Union. I regularly disagree with them. <laughs> I think they do things sometimes that are going to destroy the country. But they're pretty good on the free speech stuff, generally. Usually. They had one of their lawyers announce the other day he wouldn't defend somebody's free speech because he disagrees with it, which not only should he be kicked out of the ACLU, he should be jailed for that. But more, I don't know if they have jails. Probably not. A much more interesting story <laughs> than Terry McAuliffe doesn't welcome Trump to the state, which... What a surprise that plays to everybody on his side. And, uh, yeah, and if Texas had said that about Obama, then right. we'd be, all be wetting our pants. Uh, Terry McAuliffe blamed the ACLU for the violence that took place Saturday, which is a hell of a thing to do. And now the ACLU is uh, firing back at uh, Governor McAuliffe uh, for that and, and standing up for free speech. I mean, that's a way more interesting development. Mm-hmm. Than Terry McAuliffe says Trump can't come, but that's all the media wants to talk about. And they're both pretty interesting. A governor of a state saying the president's <laughs> yeah, not allowed. That's pretty interesting. How about the Democrat government of a, a governor of a state saying Trump's not allowed? Yeah, no kidding. You said that. No. You, there's no danger there. You may there is no risk whatsoever in you saying that. Democrat to Mayor you. of Phoenix just said the same thing. Essentially, don't come. It's too much trouble. Um. You, have, you paid no political price for doing that. A battle yeah. with the ACLU is pretty interesting, though. Yeah, I'd like to follow that. And then this op-ed piece in the New York Times, the ACLU needs to rethink free speech. The American Civil Liberties Union has a long history of defending the First Amendment rights of groups on both the far left and the far right. This commitment led the organization to successfully sue the city of Charlottesville, Virginia, last week on behalf of the white supremacist rally organizer. I had not heard that until I came across it today. How has that been left out of the conversation for the past week? Because the media does not trust you with anything close to nuance or difficult uh, contrasts. Everything's got to be super simplified. It's got to be good guy, bad guy conflict all the time. It's stupid. The city of Charlottesville said, no, you can't march here. The ACLU sued in court and won so that they could march there. Mm. How's that been left out of the story? That's That's a huge part of this. I know. Uh, The rally, of course, ended with a Nazi sympathizer plowing his car and somebody gets killed. Um, After the ACLU was excoriated for its stance, it responded that preventing the government from controlling speech is absolutely necessary to the promotion of equality. I agree. The person writing this opinion piece said, of course, that's true. The hope is that by successfully defending hate groups, its legal victories will fortify free speech rights across the board. A rising tide lifts all boats. While admirable in theory, this approach implies that the country is on a level playing field, that at some point it overcame its history of racial discrimination to achieve a real democracy, the cornerstone of which is freedom of expression. More troubling, the legal gains on which the ACLU rests its colorblind logic have never secured real freedom or even safety for all. For marginalized communities, the power of expression is impoverished for reasons that have little to do with the First Amendment. So you're justifying totalitarianism based on who's a victim. Victim-based totalitarianism is an old idea. That was the entire idea of communism. The ACLU. I mean, that, that was the approach. That wasn't the entire idea, obviously. But yeah, oh please, God, that is such that is such dangerous thinking. I know it. Most obviously, the power of speech remains proportional to wealth in this country, despite the growth of social media. Um, 
so the, their ultimate point is, and I, I can't believe a smart person doesn't get this. I mean, it just it's shocking to me. Their ultimate point is you can't allow free speech for hate groups. How do you not get as an intellectual that the problem resides in who gets to decide what's a hate group? <laughs> right. And what's hate speech? You probably think Tea Partiers are a hate group. Because that's what you've heard. I don't think that. You think they're a hate group because they want smaller government, which would defund some of the things that you like. So that makes them a hate group. I don't agree. So now what do we do that we don't agree on what's a hate group? I would like to state this to every single human who ever hears this sentence. I don't trust you to decide which speech is allowed. And I'd like to include every other homo sapien on the planet in that message. Sure. I don't trust you to decide or any committee of you to decide beyond the obvious what's permitted speech and what's not. Man, it is malpractice that the that the the media has not made it a more uh, primary point that the ACLU sued Charlottesville and won yeah. so that those supremacists could march. Well, I think it's wonderful that you expect anything out of the freaking media at this point in our history. I'm, I'm beyond cynical about it. Uh, I found this very interesting. Noam Chomsky, who is a far-left uh, thinker, an intellectual, an author, etc. He's one of the most brilliant people who's ever lived in terms of uh, understanding speech pathology. Yeah. Then he turned into a wackadoo <laughs> political leftist that is, in your opinion, way out there. Yeah, he's uh, he's a, a linguist, right? And yeah. um, among other things, um, and you know, he's, he's definitely worth reading about. I mean, if you like ideas, he's a real idea guy. I disagree with virtually everything he says, but he's an idea guy. But he's way left, and he says, uh, "quote As for Antifa, it's a minic- minuscule fringe of the left." Just as its predecessors were. It's a major gift to the right, including the militant right, who are exuberant. Many activists affiliated with the loosely organized Antifa movement consider themselves anarchists or socialists. They often wear black and take measures to conceal their identity. Chomsky said, quote, what they do is often wrong in principle, like blocking talks. And the movement is generally self-destructive. When confrontation shifts to the arena of violence, it's the toughest and most brutal who win. And we know who that is. I don't actually know who I that don't, is. I don't. That, that depends on uh, moment by moment. Yeah, but anyway, he seems to know who that is. Um, that's quite apart from the opportunity costs. And this is the really key part. This is what we have been saying on the highly controversial right-wing Armstrong and Getty show for a very long time. Noam Chomsky says the opportunity costs are the loss of the opportunity for education, organizing, and serious and constructive activism. It turns it into a fist fight, in other words, and nobody's ideas get heard. Well, I've been saying for a long time, where are your old school uh, lefties from back in the days of, uh, you know, Berkeley speaking up against Antifa? Well, here's one here. Noam Chomsky saying right. yeah, that that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, but that's people's people's uh, principles change like they change their underwear. I mean, people will, will claim a sacred principle and change it for convenience sake. It happens all the time. It's one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of humanity. You're assuming but, I change my underwear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Frankly, I was, yes, but I, I no longer am. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the zeitgeist now, the fashion in the Berkeleys of the world is that you're justified splitting somebody's head open with a bike lock if they disagree with you. Because what they're in favor of is hate, whether it be small government or whatever, that's hate. 
And so you're just fighting violence. That that wasn't the fashion uh, back in the day. Well, I'm glad to hear an old school leftist like Noam Chomsky come out and, and recognize what is clearly true. Yeah. You can't and, have violent groups suppressing speech on any side ever. You just can't oh, have so it. you guys... I think it's the same as the Nazis. All right, stupid people. There, I gave voice. <laughs> I gave voice to your stupid, stupid objection. Yeah, and efforts. Boy, how about an? There are a an, bunch of ginger snaps. How about the New York Times even printing an op-ed piece that says we need to rethink free speech? It's that's horrifying. How about that? Horrifying. I happened to chat with a uh, constitutional lawyer yesterday. We were uh, hobnobbing about this, that, and the other. Um, uh, what did I say? Uh, we were just uh, hanging out, and I said, our topic today is free speech in the era of, oh, what was it? Oh, the the uh, the the heckler's veto. And he said, is there free speech anymore? <laughs> this guy's a constitutional lawyer. Mm. He's, uh, he's a little bit down. Of course, he's a bit of a galumpus, large, clumsy fellow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, you're back to your insult oh, list. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you gasser. <laughs> A braggart. Uh, Hit me with one more. One I can use today. When I'm really in a pickle and need to insult somebody. Wow. Wow, this is this one's a little complicated. Do you want complicated or do you want more uh, kind of uh, bludgeony? I like complex. Okay. You're a gentleman of four outs. When a vulgar, blustering fellow asserts that he is a gentleman... I think some of us are probably picturing the POTUS. The retort generally is, yes, a gentleman of four outs. That is, without wit, without money, without credit, and without manners. It is a complicated insult. Oh, I like that one. Of course, you're a, ginger, you're a real ginger snap to point that out. I don't know if I can insult people. They just look at me like, what, what are you talking about? I don't know. You'll enjoy it. You'll go it! You slug a bed. <laughs> Slugabed's a good one. Yeah. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, Trump steps up attacks on fellow Republicans, setting off a GOP Twitter battle today. Says you, you ninny hammer. And would you let the homeless live in your backyard for the right price? Stories coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Gibby. These homeless, are they rattle caps? What's that one? Rattle caps? An unsteady, volatile person. Mm. Uh Rattle Rattle cap. cap. Gotcha. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. What's the hot new theme for weddings? Sweeping the nation. I don't know. Unicorn-themed weddings. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, it's the hot thing, the colors. You get a pony, you put a thing on its head. It's a phallic symbol. Is it? Yes, everything is. <laughs> as, as speaking of uh, old-timey thinkers, I'd like to revise and extend my comments on Noam Chomsky. I will tell you this. He has long been a real defender of free speech. Even of uh, people he vehemently disagreed with. And I admire that. Plus, some of his criticism of the Vietnam War was before its time and perfectly legitimate. So I'll salute him on that. I said I disagreed with him virtually everything that's not true. Uh, I admire him on some levels. There you go. Way too soft soft on communist totalitarianism. But what are you going to do? An Islamo-fascist. Right. Uh, News now with Marsha Phillips. Well, President Trump taking Twitter aim at fellow Republicans Jeff Flake and Lindsey Graham this morning. Arizona (sighs) Senator Flake, highly critical of Trump in a new book, and he's up for re-election next year. Official President Trump tweet reader Vincent Nicholas. Great to see that Dr. Kelly Ward is running against Flake, Jeff Flake, who is weak on borders, crime, and a non-factor in Senate. He's toxic! 
Now, this morning's other GOP target, Lindsey Graham, once again, Vincent Nicholas. Publicity seeking Lindsey Graham falsely stated that I said there is moral equivalency between the KKK, neo Nazis, and white supremacists, and people like Miss Hire. Such a disgusting lie. He just can't forget his election trouncing. The people of South Carolina will remember! You know, what we need is a people, I think, because this level of conflict and angst can't last. It'll wear us all out. We'll yep. die prematurely. Yep. <clears throat> Not from North Korea, but from stress. We need a committee, a bipartisan committee, to listen to everything Donald Trump says, then after a 48-hour cooling-off period, explain to us what it actually meant. And Mike Pence can be on that committee because he's really good at it. If Jeff Flake wants to be on there, that's fine. Uh-huh. Uh, a couple of Democrats, maybe the utterly humorous Al Franklin, humorless Al Franken can be on there. Save ourselves all a lot of trouble. Well, the attack on Flake uh, set off Republican Senator John McCain, who's defending his Arizona colleague after the Trump criticism. McCain firing off a tweet calling Flake a principal legislator who always does what's right for Arizona. McCain saying his state needs Flake's leadership now more than ever. Hey, Sean, I wonder if we could get Jeff Flake to endorse our new Steak Flake cereal, the low-carb cereal. That would be an excellent celebrity endorsement. Steak yeah. Flakes. Yeah. The L.A. County... And, and Jerky-O's. <laughs> <laughs> the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors has approved a, a pilot program offering money to homeowners to go ahead and build a second building on their property to house homeless families. Who's going to do that? Wow, a hobo bunkhouse and, in my backyard. And, and who wants their neighbor to do that? <laughs> oh, Wow. People living in unincorporated areas can get seventy-five grand to build a second dwelling. By the way, if you live in an unincorporated area, you ought to be able to build a, a, a second dwelling if you want to for homeless people. Why the freak not? <coughs> well, well, if the government's going to give me seventy-five k, can I charge them rent? Can I like make them work from homeless people? <laughs> I mean, I don't mean enslave them, but if you are going to live here, you will pay for it through labor. It'll be a trade agreement. That sounds like slavery. No, 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 no! It's entirely a voluntary relationship. If you want to stop working, you leave. Joe's that's the part of slavery that's different. You may get to go if you want. You may live in this bunkhouse if you work my property. No statues of you, Joe. Now I'll give you. Tear down the statues of me. You'll give them money, but they have to buy it in your own store. Right. I'll have everything they need. And I will pay them in money that's only good at my store. A report acknowledges potential uphill challenges like the ones I think we've been talking about, including whether the incentives are really substantial enough to attract homeowners and how promising such upgrades would impact the inventory of affordable housing in the Southland, etc., etc. It's a pilot program. They're going to try it out, see what happens. Good luck. At your news, I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the Voice of the West. I have, like, a group of four homeless uh, dudes who I've seen uh, numerous days in a row in my hood. And I'm like, sh- should I welcome to the neighborhood? Welcome them to the neighborhood now? Should I bake them a pie? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, just wanted to say hello. Welcome to the neighborhood. Yeah. Build a, uh, a bunkhouse in your backyard. They don't seem to be going anywhere. Can I get you guys an Uber to the next town over? <laughs> Wow, listen to the not-in-my-backyard imperialism, right. the, the one-percenter. If I show up to a unicorn-themed wedding, there's going to be a lot of eye-rolling. <laughs> Fair warning. Uh, that and other stuff coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show.
Guys, listen to this. The Connecticut Lottery's mobile app malfunctioned this weekend and told some lottery winners that they had lost. When instead they should have been told, you have a lottery app on your phone, get help. And you go, oh. There you go. Yeah. Finally, a funny joke that can bring us all together. That's pretty good, too. <laughs> um, Except for Marshall, who's even now crying softly. So I'm desperately looking for stories that have nothing to do with the news of the day, right? Because I just... So I'm going through the Wall Street Journal life section. Here's one of the stories. Do short haircuts cause balding? Your barber may have nothing to do with it. What? Had anybody ever heard that short haircuts cause balding? I hadn't. But I My didn't. gym teacher in junior high told us that wearing hats would cause us to go bald. Yeah. I remember in uh, the one year of football I played in eighth grade, there was some concern somebody brought up about you don't want to leave your helmet on on the sidelines because it will cause balding. Wow. Same gym teacher. <laughs> you know what causes balding? Genetic uh, predisposition for balding. Same gym teacher served in the United States Marines. And I've told you this story before. He delivered the most eloquent and impassioned speech, not eloquent like fancy, but effective speech against bullying that I've ever heard in my life. And I wish I had a. Tra- I'd pay a thousand dollars for a transcript of it. Wow, good. Because uh, there's a there was a girl. Uh, uh, there's actually a girl and a boy who are being bullied, and he went off, and it was fantastic. It's like a religious moment for me. I heard that and I thought, by God, that's right, and it changed my life. God bless you, Nick Garbarino. I'm not sure he's still with us, but he's a good man. I had a number of gym teachers who encouraged bullying. Mm. Liked it. That's something. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Nick was full of crap when it came to what caused baldness, but you know what? That was a wink, a wink and a nod. (laughs) But I, I, what caught my eye is this guy, um, he's a writer for something anyway, and he wrote this column, My Flimsy Farewell to Football. You're kind of in this camp. He had read the story about how Way more players are going to be kneeling for the national anthem this year. It's right. it's really caught on. It's become a huge thing. They'll they'll be they'll be you know they'll be a, a dozen per game. And how he decided, you know what, I'm out. And then he thought about, <laughs> am I really out? Can I really do this? Do I have the ability to ignore the NFL when I've been such a fan my whole life? But if there are a lot of players kneeling for the national anthem, there will be. I think there will be. Uh, uh, yeah, quite a few. <laughs> I'm not paying attention to uh, preseason, but from what I understand, yeah, it's a, it's way more of a thing than it even was before. Um, yeah, that that's going to turn off a lot of people. Now, maybe if they don't focus it, because you wouldn't notice watching television. If they don't mention it, you won't know, right? If they don't right. show them. Right. I wonder if it's going to become a thing like uh, when a naked guy runs on the field. You don't show it. Because you just don't want to you encourage that sort of thing. They the just, guy is drunk, but there he goes. They won't show the player kneeling, and they won't talk about it. Of course, if the fans notice and start booing, and then every game has got a whole bunch of booing. It will. Then, yeah, I can't. I, I just I don't need it. Well, and for the umpteenth time, the issue is not necessarily that I disagree with no, you. No. It's bringing divisive and painful politics to the football game where I just want to watch the game and enjoy myself. I don't want painful and divisive politics in my rock concerts. I don't want it, you know, if I'm having uh, lunch with a friend. I don't want it in my sex life. I just, uh, just leave it out. So the NFL, the most popular sport in America, was down double-digit uh, last year. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that'll continue again this year. Or, you know, I could certainly see the argument... These guys have, have accepted that it may hurt their career, and fewer people watch football, and it's turning a bunch of people off. 
but they're willing to do it. So that's fine. I don't I'm not mad about it actually. I've just I've left. That's I'm not going to watch football. That's what the whole entertainment world has to understand. Sports stars don't get it, musicians don't get it either. It's not that important. It's just a I'm just sort of entertained for a little while on a Sunday afternoon or while I'm driving in my car. You cross this very thin line of you're sort of entertaining to me mm-hmm. and I just find something else. Yeah. It's not a big deal. I'm not like you said I'm not mad about it, but I'll watch something else. I'll listen to something else and then you don't have a job anymore. Yeah. That's what they don't get. They think it's way too important to us to miss a Madonna concert or an NFL game or whatever. I'll just, I just won't go. Yeah. Well, I, it's not that big a deal. I don't know. The other thing is you lure me under one pretense and then you hit me with the other thing. I mean, I, I, I love Bruce Springsteen as a songwriter and musician, but I don't need a political lecture. That's not why I came. But, you know, it's my choice to go or come. I'm not going to get all mad about it. Um, I'm just not going to go anymore. Because I know it's coming. It's inevitable. What will the NFL do if they're down double digits again and they think this is a lot of the reason? What do you do? Do They'll talk to the network and say, don't show it. I think you nailed it. They'll say, let's, God, let's make it, let's pretend it's not happening. To what extent can we make it seem as though it's not happening? Can an owner say you have to stand for the national anthem if you want to be on my team? I think Jerry Jones did that, as a matter of fact. He told everybody at the beginning of the season, nobody is kneeling on my team. Yeah, well, that's uh, sure. If that's your workplace policy, I mean, that's that's an interesting. Why couldn't uh, you do that? Well, you could do that. They fired that guy from Google because he disagreed with their policies, and they made some some wet, panted, teary eyed unicorn argument that, well, by even making that argument, he demeaned and frightened people. You could absolutely make that argument about you know. And just make it clear as an owner. You could even say, yeah, I agree. There's too much police brutality, but I don't want politics mixed with my football here at uh, Dallas Cowboys. So everybody has to stand. And certainly no commercialism here at Gillette Citibank AT&T Field. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.